Thanks so much, team, for leading us. And uh, we're continuing our study called Kingdom Come in Matthew's Gospel. And this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to invite my friend Brenda Sandin to come. And she's going to read from uh, Matthew 9. Come on up, Brenda. And uh, you can open there in your Bibles if you have them with you today. Matthew 9. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But so that you may know that the God of man, Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, then he said to the paralytic, Get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they, gave, and they praised God who had given such authority to men. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do men pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst and the the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. While he was saying this, a ruler came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that moment. When Jesus entered the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the, daughter by, or took the girl by the hand and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, 
Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, it will be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. While they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been dumb spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, It is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the works are few. workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thank you so much, Brenda. Well, I'm really glad to be back. You know, as I met the beautiful people of uh, Ukraine this past week, uh, there were two really great questions that I was consistently asked. Number one, what do you think of Ukraine? Uh, to which I could honestly say, this is just a beautiful place, and I'm just loving it. I'm loving just the people I've met are so warm and, uh, and hospitable. And of course, the food um, for this Ukrainian-descended young man, it was just like coming home for me. So it was very good. Uh, the second question was just really key. I was asked over and over again, why did you come here? And that was a really fun question to answer. Uh, see, on, uh, on Tuesday, we were invited to go to a local public school and to be part of the classes. Uh, as native English speakers, it was really valuable for, for the students to hear our accents and just to dialogue with us. And God has just been opening doors for that Eway ministry and the church, uh, Blagada, it's called. It's uh, called Grace Church, a Baptist church there. They're giving these beautiful openings to connect with just various organizations in the city. And um, it was a joy to, to be a part of that. And answering that question to my, the class of grade nine students that was there, and uh, these, this is my class at Eway. Most of them are sort of uh, late teens or early 20s. They were asking me, why are you here? And here's what I got to say. It was so fun. I could look at them in the eye and say, because of you. I came out of love for you. I, I came because uh, God has a message for you. I came out of love for God because he had called me to share that there is purpose and forgiveness and new life in King Jesus. And I want everyone to know the best news possible. And I was sharing that in a public school. <laughs> they were just letting me preach. It was amazing. Uh, so let me tell you, this trip and being asked over and over again, why are you here? It helped clarify again, actually, why I'm here in this city, in this church. And it's for you, it's out of love for you. I'm so thrilled to be a part of how God has called me to be a part of this community and for us together to make known this good news because I want everyone to know the good news of Jesus, to have a chance to respond to him. 
See, that question, why are you here, it's the most profound one, I think nearly the most profound question you'll ever answer. Because if you don't know the answer to that question for yourself, you're going to be floundering all the time. In many ways, the passage we're looking at today is clarifying as well. It's all about Jesus. Why are you here? For what his mission was and how he draws us into it. You know, as I wrestled with this passage in prayer, what God wanted me to preach on today, because you could preach a million different sermons on a single text, right? We, could, we can go in any different direction. But for me, it really became clear that this was meant to be a vision test for us this morning, like going to the eye doctor. So there's three questions that came up out of this for me. One, how do you see Jesus? Two, how do you see yourself? And three, how do you see the world around you? So we're going to do this vision test, but more importantly, I want us to face these three questions from a different angle. Will we see Jesus as he is? yourself as you are, and the world through the lens that Jesus sees it. Because how we see, that shapes how we live, how we interact with others. You know, in this first scene, we have these friends who bring their friend who's paralyzed to Jesus. They see something in Jesus where they know if we can only get him in front of Jesus, he's going to take care of his needs. And out of faith, they bring him to Jesus. But Jesus, he clarifies his purpose and his identity. You see, he's not simply a healer of bodies. His healing goes much deeper than that. Take heart, son. Your sins are forgiven. Do you ever wonder if he was disappointed to hear that? Would you have been? Some scholars have inferred that maybe this man had been suffering with a crippling guilt, not just his own paralysis of his body, and that this was just a breath of fresh air to him to hear those words. Maybe others say, no, I think he's probably pretty disappointed to hear that. He was expecting healing. He'd heard Jesus' reputation, and now it's just dealing with his heart. The truth is the text doesn't tell us, but here's what it does do. This text drives a wedge. And it asks everyone standing around Jesus and listening to him to ask this question, who does this guy think he is? Notice how the Pharisees, how do they see Jesus at this point? It says they begin muttering to themselves, he's blaspheming. And that that word means to slander the name of God. See, no one can forgive sins but God alone. And here, Jesus is acting with this kind of authority for himself. No other figure within Israel's history has ever made that claim. I mean, by God's power, Moses and Elijah and Elisha, they perform incredible miracles. But Jesus is saying something no one else ever has here. It's a profound statement about who he is. See, after his death and resurrection, his followers, Matthew included, will come to understand that Jesus is God with flesh on, that he is God himself with us. But never once had someone made that claim to simply forgive sins. That's something only God can do. So the question for the Pharisees, and actually for us this morning, is this. Are they and we willing to look at Jesus on his own terms? 
See him for who he says he is. See, as they mutter their charge of blasphemy, Jesus responds with a challenge. He says, why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? See, their concern for the holiness of the name of God, that wasn't a bad thing. But Jesus could see that something that was going on inside of them just wasn't about that. It was actually malignant. They weren't even going to consider that God was somehow working through Jesus. So the question is, would the Pharisees have the humility to shift their vision? To see Jesus not as a rival to their self-proclaimed and very limited authority, but as one who really does have God's authority. And the same question really comes to us this morning. Will we see Jesus as a threat to our own self-proclaimed authority over our lives? Or will we see that he really is God the Son? That he has the authority both to forgive us and heal us and give leadership, unquestioned leadership to our lives? Maybe this is particularly significant for those who are just thinking about Jesus, maybe for the first time here. You're wrestling through this question for yourself. My question to you would be this. Are you willing to look at Jesus with an openness, just to the possibility that he really is the embodiment of God's own self? That Jesus really is able to forgive sin, your sin, because he is God who's come out of love for you? God tells us through the scriptures that everything hangs on how we answer that question, who is Jesus to you? The quality of our lives now and actually the destiny of our lives after this life too. But notice something happens between this statement of forgiveness of this man and his healing. Jesus gives the Pharisees a riddle, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. Now, how would you answer that question? Most of us, I think, from our late, modern, Western, skeptical frame are going to say, well, it would be way easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can measure that, right? You You can't test that. But to say get up from your mat and walk to a paralyzed man, I mean, that sounds way harder for us to say. But we need to see a few things here. Number one, Within the sacrificial system of Judaism at the time, if someone sins, they need to go and present a sacrifice, an offering at the temple to show that they're repentant and to to pay for that. That would be a covering for their sin within what God had set up back in the Levitical law. But notice, Jesus claims to forgive this man without any sacrifice being offered, without the man even asking for it, actually. Jesus is claiming to grant forgiveness simply by the authority of his word. So Jesus gives the riddle, which is easier, pronounce forgiveness or grant healing. He doesn't give an answer, actually. He simply says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man does have authority on earth to forgive sins. So then he confirms what he's just said, looks at the man and says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man does but it doesn't solve the riddle, actually, which is easier. You see, as a reader of this gospel, Jesus has been healing people over and over again. We've read that over and over again in this. Even the Pharisees, they believed the Old Testament of the Scripture where Moses, Elijah, Elisha, by God's power, performed powerful miracles. So for them, 
That's not outside of their frame. Which is easier for Jesus to say? When we think about it in light of the whole story of God's work to restore and renew the world for all who will trust in him, to bring the kingdom of God to bear, to convince those around him that the kingdom is actually present because he, King Jesus, is present. Which is easier for Jesus to say? I think it's harder for him to say your sins are forgiven. It's harder because he knows what it's going to cost to make that true. For him to be able to grant forgiveness to this man simply by a word without this man offering a sacrifice means Jesus has to be the sacrifice. Jesus knows where this story is going. He himself would bear this man's guilt. Here's what we need to see is that we're actually not any different than this man in the story today. Jesus says, get up. And the man does. Fast forward to the end of this gospel and there is another miracle And this one means healing for the whole world, for everyone who trusts in Jesus. This time, Jesus himself will get up, up out of the grave, out of the tomb, out of the grip and power of sin and death itself. And his getting up will ultimately confirm his authority to forgive sin. Because as God himself, all sin is ultimately against Jesus. And as the sacrifice himself, he is the one who now deals with it in his own body on the cross so that we could come for free. That's what grace means. Jesus makes possible the complete and utter restoration of lives in every way. His resurrection guarantees ours, and that is very good news. See, the fact that Jesus speaks these words of forgiveness before he heals the man, actually speaks to our deepest need too. In the first home that Catherine and I owned, um, we had these trees that were kind of like weeds. They would just sprout up and grow so fast. I don't even know what they are. I'd snip them off one year. The next year, they'd be like twice as tall again. I'd think, what is going on here? It wasn't until I did the hard work of getting the shovel out and digging them out from the roots uh, that we began to deal with the issue. Jesus is dealing with this man's root issue. And here's something I want us to notice this morning. Every person who Jesus encounters in this story, as we heard today, was healed. That is a beautiful thing. Two points. One, that healing is a pointer ahead. When the kingdom of God comes, when Jesus returns in all its fullness, every disease will be healed, ultimately. But notice, Every single one of the people who was healed in this story, in some ways, is still going to undergo the deterioration and aging and breaking of their body, and so will you, and so will I. But Jesus, dealing with the root issue of our sin, is cracking open a whole new world that means one day we will know complete and utter healing for all of eternity that will never fade, never perish. And that's why Jesus came for you. If you ask the question, you know, as I was asked in Ukraine, why are you here? If you ask that question to Jesus, why are you here? Here's his answer. To forgive you for your sins so you could be restored to relationship for God forever. This takes us actually back to the very first scene in the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. Joseph has just been met with an angel and says, Mary's pregnant 
Uh, you're going to be the adoptive father, and you're to name him Jesus. Yeshua in Hebrew, and Yeshua means the Lord saves. Then the angel says why Jesus would have this name, because of this. For he will save his people from their sins. That's why Jesus came. He came for you, to heal you at the very deepest place. And that brings us to the next question of our vision. How do you see yourself? See, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, he writes himself into the story at this point. Jesus comes up to the tax collector booth and he looks at Matthew sitting there and he simply says to him, follow me. Now realize tax collectors were hated by their Jewish kinsmen for at least two reasons. One, they were in league with the enemy. I mean, they were working for the Roman government, who was the oppressor, who was essentially the enemy of the Jewish people, or that's how they thought of them. Number two, when he was doing this work, like tax collectors did, they would take the amount, and then they would take some for themselves, and they often took way more than they should. They were extortionists. They were corrupt to the core. But lo and behold, Jesus, when he shows up and sees Matthew, he doesn't cross his arms and say, Matthew... Seriously, what are you doing? How could you betray your people like this? You traitor. That's not what we hear from Jesus. Anything but, he says, Matthew, follow me. I want you. Jesus didn't see him merely for his sin, which was there and which would need to be dealt with, but he sees his humanity. Jesus looks through the lens of mercy on Matthew. And Matthew, maybe for the first time ever, begins to see himself from God's perspective. And that compels Matthew to get up. Again, a significant word. Didn't we just hear the word get up in the last story? The man who is paralyzed gets up from his paralysis. And this man, Matthew, who is paralyzed by his life, apart from God, now takes on a whole new kind of life. He gets up to follow his loving leader. In fact, this Matthew, this tax collector, sitting there at a booth not knowing maybe what his life is for, ripping off his countrymen, is the one who writes down the most famous piece of literature that has ever been penned in all of human history, that has had more impact in the world than anything else ever written down. This man, this tax collector, is the one who writes the Gospel of Matthew, which we're reading and hearing this morning, and which is still changing our hearts by the power of the Spirit. That should give you hope, too. That whoever you are, wherever you're sitting right now, Jesus has those same two words for you. Follow me. He sees you through that frame of mercy and says, come. And now the question is, will you get up? Get up from your old life on your own terms and begin to follow Jesus and let that transformation grip your heart, change your life, and set you out on mission with Jesus. And notice, where does Jesus find himself next? He's eating, as Matthew says, surrounded by many tax collectors and sinners. Now, this is key. Matthew doesn't downplay this fact. They really are people in need of forgiveness and change. But notice too, the the Pharisees, they also have a view of what's happening. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Man, that's a great question. 
See, to eat with somebody is the sign of inclusion and welcome. It's acceptance. So Jesus' answer is straightforward, but profound. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Think of it. If the doctor is in quarantine, who's going to care for those who are sick? Jesus comes near to those, is in proximity, opens his arms to those who know they need the doctor. But that raises a question for us, doesn't it? Do we know that we're in need of the doctor? See, the Pharisees, they're right to ask why Jesus is eating with these folks, but they fail to see that they're just as sick. And they fail to see that Jesus opens himself up to to these folks out of mercy. He wants them to share in that kind of ministry, but until their hearts are melted by the mercy of God and they recognize that they need his forgiveness too, they're going to find themselves excluded from the kingdom of God and what Jesus is doing. So Jesus says to them, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I think this is important. I don't think Jesus is dividing the world into two categories of people. Those are the Pharisees' categories. He's using them, I think with air quotes around them, actually. He's challenging them and us with the question, how do you see yourself? Do you know that you're as in need of mercy as those who maybe you're looking down your nose at? Do you know that you need God's mercy that badly too? And until you see that, you're not going to have a share in the kingdom of God. Until you know you need the mercy of God, your heart's not going to be melted toward others who need the mercy of God too. So when we receive God's mercy, we are on board. That's how we get on board with the mission of bringing healing to others. One commentator says of this section, mercy involves the crossing of boundaries erected by society at large. And that's exactly what Jesus is showing this group in their society. He eats with, draws close to those who are so often excluded. And now he invites us, those who receive his mercy to be agents of his mercy in the world, to pass it on to others. So just ask yourself, my friends around me, my family, As they think of me, do they think, man, that guy is merciful. His arms are open. Her arms are open. He's ready to cross boundaries and be near to people who are often on the outside. Is that how people describe you? Do you want people to describe you that way? Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I want to be that kind of person. By the the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to be open to that. I want to invite you to be open to that too. But you know, Jesus makes that kind of merciful welcome possible in this way. He uses two metaphors, one from the sewing room, the other from the wine cellar. And the point is this, God is making new life possible for his people, but it would require a fitting system. See, the first covenant that God makes with Israel required that sacrifices be made to cover sin. And there's nothing wrong with that picture. That needs to happen. But all of that in the Old Testament was a pointer to what Jesus was ultimately coming to do. And Jesus is saying that day is now. Jesus was shifting how people would relate to God. No longer would they have to go to the temple and provide sacrifices and have others stand in as priestly ministers. No, 
Jesus himself becomes the temple, John chapter 2. Jesus himself becomes the sacrifice, John chapter 1. And Jesus becomes the great high priest who leads us to the Father, Hebrews chapter 4. Jesus has taken the great story of God and brought it to its climax. And now he is at the very center of it all. This new wine, this new way of relating to God would require a whole new system to hold it. And this is so significant for what we see in the healings here. You see, in in Leviticus, if someone touches a woman who is bleeding or a dead body, they are ritually unclean. Jesus was required by law to remove himself for a whole day from regular social interaction. Does he do that? He doesn't. Impurity doesn't flow to him. His purity flows to her, and she's healed. When he touches the dead body, he doesn't end up richly impure. He raises her to life. Here's what this means for our ministry in this new wine kind of way. In our mission, we do not hide away in a holy huddle. We connect with and bring life and healing to every place we go because the Holy Spirit is in us is working through us, is being poured out to others. We infect the world with God's love, his healing, his restoring and forgiving presence as we share the good news of Jesus. But is that your view? Is that how you see the world around you? Notice last how Jesus sees the people around him. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He sees the pain of people. He sees the hopelessness. He sees the need for a loving leader. And the question comes to us, do you? Do I see the need for God in the faces of those I meet? When Jesus sees people, he is consistently filled with compassion toward them. I can't say that I am, but I want to be. And that comes, I think, from getting close to the heart of Jesus. See, I'm not going to see like Jesus unless I'm looking at Jesus consistently. I'm not going to have a heart that beats like his if I don't get close to his heart. One of the main reasons I read the Bible, yes, I study it for my ministry and for sharing with you. I, I really do study the Bible to fill my head with information. That's important. But one of the reasons I read the Bible daily is just to get on board with God. I want to pick up his heart for the world. I want mine to be in in, in unison with his. I want my vision to be a God-shaped vision. So how do we cultivate hearts like that? Look at what Jesus says next. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Ask, Jesus says, pray. Ask God for more to go out harvesting. Pray. Here's my encouragement. Pray for that. And watch what happens. I'm convinced that as we begin to pray for more harvesters, we become the answer to our own prayer. Those who pray for more harvesters become harvesters. Those who draw near to the heart of the Father are then sent by the Father with his heart. You know, that what I was really impressed with as I spent time in Chernivtsi, I began... Um, it was just how the church was so actively involved in the mission of God in their city. It was this great sense of teamwork, of pulling together to make Jesus famous. But at the heart of it was was prayer. That was it. We did a prayer walk one morning with a group of students. A lot of them, like I said, mid-teens to maybe early 20s. And when we stopped to pray, whoa, I was surprised. These were not short, timid prayers. They were passionate pleas with the Father to save their city. 
these kids were caught up in the mission of God. And God was honored and honored that even by giving them uh, not just a vision for seeing their city saved, but actual visions like from Acts 2. And I'm going to show you a quick video of one of the gals, just a one-minute video of how she experienced this vision from God for her city as she prayed. I was praying for the city, Chernivtsi, and I suddenly saw a vision. Uh, I saw this street, and uh, from heaven, the big uh, table was descending uh, on the ground, and it landed on the street, and it was covered with a white, clean, clean, white, uh, shiny tablecloth, and um, there were uh, people started to come in, and I understood that they were, they were Christians, uh, and they were waiters uh, with dishes and they started to set the table and I heard that God has the recipes, God has the food and we uh, as Christians we just need to set this table for people and serve the food and then when we serve the food uh, the people started to come and eat and take everything they want it was like a buffet and they could take whatever they liked and the table was really full and then after that uh, the floods and rivers started to uh, run and flow from this street into the whole city. That's it. <laughs> I was praying for the city. First line. We shouldn't expect God to give us any vision for the city if we're not praying for the city too. That's our big take home this morning. If you were looking for it, what is, what is he going to say? We're, like, what can I do? Pray for your city. And that is what mission is all about, too. This beautiful table descends from heaven. And there's these people that are waiters. They're setting the table. That's what we're doing. That's all we're doing. We're setting the table and inviting people to come. God has the food. God has the recipes. If you walk down the street, you're going to see a quote from Isaiah 55 on a carriage there that says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. I don't know if you're familiar with Isaiah 55, but let me read the, a, a portion of the rest of it. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without cost. Listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Now, that's God's invitation to all of us. Come and eat. And that's the very picture that God gave to my friends and that is what mission looks like for us too. As we pray for the city, to be prepared to serve our city, to care for the needs of others. And as we do, they come and feast on what God has for them. So I ask, how do you see the world around you? In need of God's loving leadership? How do you see yourself? As one of the harvesters, the answer to your own prayer? And how do you see Jesus? God, come in the flesh. Come to heal and to save you and others. I pray that you will, that we will together. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you invited Matthew to follow you that day. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the great work that you did uh, in, in, in drawing together this beautiful story that Matthew has written down in this gospel that is still speaking to our hearts today 
because it's true. The God of love has come for us, has set the table and invited us to come and eat. And now as we've received your mercy, God, we freely, freely receive, freely we will give. God, make us a people sent out in this city to love with your love, to be about your business in your way. And we thank you for the way that you've poured your love into our hearts. Now, make us an offering. Make us those kind of people, whoever you want us to be. Amen. Now, if you have kids in kids' church, we're a little bit over time, so you're welcome to go grab them if you want. Uh, 